Let's pray. Holy Spirit, just thank you for this great church. I've been coming over here, Lord, well over two decades. It's like home being here. Lord, no matter what we're going through, Lord, we know we've been born at the exact right time. Whether it's the pain and the, and the sin in our own nation right now or something we're facing in our personal lives, come now and help us, amen. The end of July, God began to speak to me out of a, a verse in 1 Kings chapter 20, verse 28. Israel's under terrible leadership. It doesn't get much worse than Ahab and his wife Jezebel. Illicit sex is now an act of worship. Babies are burned alive in the fire as a sacrifice. Uh, The nation is in terrifying moral and social decline. Yet how many of you are glad that God doesn't forget his people even when they have a bad leader? Raise your hand. And... The armies of the Arameans have come against them under Ben-Hadad and have been defeating them for a number of years. And there's a battle and finally Israel wins one. So all the, you know, the false prophets of the Aramean land and their priests say, well, we know what happened. Their God is the God of the hills. He is the God of the mountaintop, but next year we're going to attack him in the valley." We're going to attack them in the low place because we know their God can't save them when it's low. We know that I can valley in the hard place, God can't save them. And a man of God came up and told the king of Israel, this is what the Lord says. Because the Arameans think the Lord is only the God of the hills and not the God of the valleys. I'm going to correct their thinking. I will deliver this vast army into your hands and you will know that I myself am the Lord. They came up, massive army. Israel had about an army of 7,000. God's plan, of course, seemed crazy to the human mind. As what should I do? God says, go attack them. How many of you don't attack an army 10, 11 times your size? And by the way, he says, send all the junior commanders, all the next generation. They probably thought, that figures the younger generation is always cannon fodder for the old. Send them out. The rest is history. The enemy was wiped out. Maybe you find yourself in a valley today. But how many of you learned God's at his best in the valley? And this is why. When you're in a valley, how many of you pray more? Submit more. And listen more. As much as we love the mountaintop, let me tell you. The higher he takes you, the next place you're going is lower than you can imagine. Don't waste your mountaintop. You won't stay there long. Okay. I want to talk to you this morning about five valleys. I'm using five because I believe that's going to cover where many of you will find yourself. I think in the first service, 98% of us stood facing a valley. First one I want to talk about will be in the book of Numbers chapter 13. You may be saying, why is he preaching out of the open Bible? Where's his notes? My notes are lost on the airplane with my iPad. <laughs> so don't think this is too spiritual. I thought, I just preached out of the Bible this morning and started looking at my phone. Okay. All right. So don't think there's a great significance in this. When we look at, 19, when we look at Numbers 13, 23, we find they're in the Valley of Eskel. The Valley of Eskel means the Valley of the Cluster. 
the valley of fruit. And we find that the cluster of grapes was so big that two men carried on a point. I mean, that's big grapes. Now, if I see big grapes, I'm blessed, but I'm worried. I'm thinking, if the grapes are that big, how big is what's been eating them? And many of you find yourself coming into a time of immense fruitfulness. Things you've been believing for in your marriage, with your children, with your businesses, they're right in front of you. The fruit has never looked so good. The problem is when you come down into the valley of the cluster, when you come down into the valley where your dreams seem to be coming true, you're going to find the bigger the fruit, the bigger the fight. Because typically, it's the fight that helps you possess the fruit. They get back, they're going to give their report, they're telling Moses and the people, and here, they go, we came in the land of milk and honey, oh my gosh, the fruit was amazing, verse 28, but here comes, here comes the but problem. But to people who live there, woo, they're powerful, their cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak the giant there. Many of you are in the valley where the fruit is amazing, but the fight is even more terrible. A lot of you came in here locked in the fight of your life a step away from what you've dreamed for. Some of you are in a, in a place in your marriage where you're finally ready to experience the fruit. For one of you, three days ago, something just blew apart in your marriage, and you were so close to changing. Thought you had it. Now, this is a moment of decision for Israel. Ten of the spies said, the fruit is great, but the fight scares us too bad. People that live a fruitless life typically live a, fear, a fearful life. They spend all their time avoiding a fight. When you avoid your fight, you avoid your fruit. There's always a big fight before the big fruit. Caleb, one of the two spies of the faith, stood up and said, listen, their protections left them. God's with them. God's with us. We can do it. Now, here's the problem. When you run from your fight, you run from your fruit. And here's the worst problem. When you run from the war, you run right back into the wilderness. What's better, the one-year war they could have fought and won or the 40 years in the wilderness to get them ready for the next time was to go into the land? Don't run from the fight today. Some of you are about to seize the greatest fruit in your life. You've been buffeted by depression. Others of you, you're so close to breakthrough and the pain of a child is dragging at you. Let me tell you something. That great fight you're in is an indicator of the great fruit God has for you. And God would not have brought you to that place to lose. He brought you there to win. I want to tell you by the Holy Spirit today, the war may seem intense, but it's easier than the wilderness. God loves you so much. If you run from the war, he'll bring you into his training school. And that may take him years to bring you around. How many of you know there's great fruit in our country right now and great fights? Everywhere. It's always that way. Oh, but I've never run from a fight because I've learned in my life, big fight, big fruit. 
Bigger fight, bigger fruit. A lot of you said, Pastor Jim, I'm so close to what I've dreamed about. So close to what I've believed for. But then again, you just want to fight too hard. I, I can't do it. God always brings you to the place of can't do to bring you to the place of now I'll help you do it. Now, the second fight I want to describe to you is the fight in the valley of Achor. Look in Joshua 7 with me. Valley of Achor, you know the story. Children of Israel have crossed the Jordan River. The walls of Jericho have fallen down. You're going to find sometimes the only thing worse than the problem you're facing is the plan God gives you to solve it. Like march around a giant double-walled city for seven days, it'll fall down. How many of you believe that? No one believes that. God's plan will always bring you out of your mind into his mind. You say, I'm out of my mind today, pastor. Good, it's about time. He's finally got you out of your mind to go into his mind, his thinking, his answer. Just because you're without hope this morning, just because you're despondent this morning, doesn't mean he is. Why is it we have to come to the end of ourselves to come to the beginning of himself? They come there and to the valley of Achor. Then Joshua, together with all the Israelites, found what he had stolen in the valley of Achor. The valley of Achor, the valley of trouble. This unusual kind of trouble. It's trouble Israel had not brought on themselves. One man had brought it on them. Ever been in a valley not of your own making? Ever been in a hard time because your spouse didn't want to follow God? Child broke your heart? Boss made stupid decisions and wrecked your company? The hardest valley is the one you didn't put yourself in. It's hard because somehow you think, if they don't change, if he doesn't change, if she doesn't change, if the government doesn't change, I can't get out of this. Many of you find yourself locked in a valley not of your own making. You don't know how to get out of it because you're stuck because of someone else's sin. Someone else's bad decision. Israel lost a whole battle because one man sinned. They're frozen, paralyzed. They're in a panic because they go to war at the next city and they lose. And Why did we lose? God says, real simple. Someone sinned. One of your leaders sinned. What do you do when you're there? What do you do when you find yourself in a valley, not of your own making? The good news is, and I love this verse, Hosea 2.15 says, I'll make the valley of Achor into a door of hope. In other words, your doom if you respond to me, will become your door. Your doom can become your door. Now, how does that happen? How does God move supernaturally in our life? It's happened when Joshua fell on his knees and said, God, I'm not just going to shift responsibility to Achan. I'll take my own responsibility. I fall before you. This is not just his fault. I wish I could have seen it. wish I could have led better. wish I could have prayed more. He got up off his knees. God said, this is what's going to happen. 
and victory came. No one but you can keep you out of your destiny. No one else's sin. No one else's. It's his fault, her fault, their fault. And you know it may well be. But your response will determine if that doom becomes your door or your tomb. God says today, you find yourself in the valley of Achor. I'm turning it into a door of hope. Respond to me. Don't become despondent, become responded. Respond to me. Respond to me. I'm going to bring you into a door of hope. I'm going to bring you back into victory. Watch what I do. Now, the third valley you may find yourself in today is in 1 Samuel, the 17th chapter. And in 1 Samuel 17, this may be one of the best loved stories in all the Bible. Even people that hardly believe the Bible love this story. David and Goliath. 1 Samuel 17, they are at the valley. They come to a valley. Valley of Elah. It's known for its big oak trees. I've passed that valley in Israel. Israel had been defeated over and over. They were under once again a terrifying king who would later try to murder his own son and David. Insecure, rash. They had a trouble. The Philistines had sent out their champion. Name was Goliath. Shaquille O'Neal would look like an ant next to him. He was 10 feet, 3 inches tall. He was the undisputed heavyweight champion fighter of the known world. He'd never lost since he was a kid. Monstrous, heavily armored. Bible says for 40 days, 40 evenings, he'd stand and say, I challenge Israel to trial by combat. Get out your greatest champion. There were no volunteers. He'd never lost. We'll fight. If I win, we enslave you. If you win, you enslave us. And a teen, teenage boy shows up in a pizza delivery truck. <laughs> really bread and wine and cheese, pizza delivery. Pulls up. Daddy can't stand him. Seems to have a diff, in the Bible a different mother than the rest of the boys. We don't know if it was an affair, a concubine, no one knows. He's nuts. He plays music his parents don't like. Dresses ways they can't stand. Dad gets really mad because he always sings about being a sheep. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Dad thinks, my God, how'd I get a boy like that so crazy? He thinks he's going to make his living playing that music. Get a real job, boy. I mean, any of you ever have that conversation with your child? Okay, now, I have enough children. I'm always in that conversation. Anyway, I mean, when the prophet came to house, he said, hide him quick. Send him out with that stupid music. Boy, put your, put your headphones on. We don't need you around here. But all pride, you know, Miss my son from Harvard. Oh, ho, ho, ho. this is my son. He was a college athlete. Sammy goes, don't see the one I want. Dad goes, Dad, I hit that other weird one. <laughs> Any more boys? <clears throat> well, whoa, I do have one son. I'm mean, kind of scrawny rascal. I know he's kind of weird. I mean, he sees this music. Mom and I don't like it, never have. Bring him. Much to his disdain, he who had rejected God accepted. How many of you know God will surprise you with your children? Raise your hand. He'll just shock you sometimes. Thank God. 
So he, he gets anointed, he goes back, and something's happened. Kills a bear, takes down a lion, keeps on singing, whacking down things with slingshots, and he doesn't have a real good job. Daddy says, boy, go take some pieces of your brothers. Bring a present to the general. He gets in there, everyone's paralyzed in fear. It'll determine the fate of a nation. The stakes are high. God whispers and said, you were born for this fight. Some of you are in a fight today. No one believes you can win. Not your family. Parents may not believe. No one around you believes the valley you're in, you can win. I'm here to tell you today, you're born for it. You say, Pastor, I'm playing for real high stakes right now. If I make a wrong decision, it's going to affect a lot of lives. There are at least two of you here in very, very high positions. I don't know you. One in a security position in our government. You're facing a decision that can affect thousands and thousands of lives. You don't know what to do. Part of your mind is paralyzed today. You're born to make that decision. You weren't looking for it, but like David, you walked right into it. Let me give you the good news. Ephesians 2.10 says, it's not on your notes, you are Christ's workmanship, created in him to do good works given you before there was a world. Let me tell you a little story about David before we move on. Decades before, the Philistines won another battle shattered Israel and taken the ark. Israel felt like it's the end of our faith. They captured the ark, which was kind of a, God hung around on the ark a lot, a lot of presents. Well, the world always makes the mistake of thinking you defeat the church, you've defeated God. That's always bad math. So they told, we've defeated God. They're yelling, they're laughing. Oh, oh, oh. it's a bad day for them. They bring the old ark into the temple of Dagon, big giant idol all the demon spirits around him. They come in the next day and Dagon's flat on his face worshiping the ark. They go, oh, it's an accident. Our Dagon's the king, God. They set him back up. They should have taken the ark early. Next day they came in, he was beheaded. And God severed the power of that nation at that moment. And now God needed one human who was willing to walk in what he'd already done. Boy, wasn't born yet. We're going to have to be someone that no one could believe in, a scrawny teenage boy, making a living, singing weird music. He said, I'll fight the giant. But I said, you idiot, you, you idiot, you get killed. Boy, that ain't anointing. That's testosterone. That giant will kill you. <laughs> King said, you got to be kidding me, son. No one's going to defeat Goliath. He said, but I'm kind of desperate. Take my armor. David, too smart. He goes, armor hadn't done him any good. When you get to the moment of crisis, it's not time to change your plan. It's not time to change. When you get to the moment of crisis, the thing that killed the lion and the bear will kill the giant. It's because it's not about the size of your giant today. It's about the size of your God. He's bigger than anything. Now, then you have to wonder, David got a little trash talking. Giant goes, you got to be kidding me. You give me no teenage punk out here. He said, I'll grind you into food for my dogs, boy. He never even bothered to get his shield, devil overcome, overconfident. You think, why is God using me? 
because the devil never expects you can really hurt him. David begins to run. Then David began to trash talk. I'm going to cut off your head. The boy don't even have a sword. What happened? All of a sudden, when you run towards your giant, you run towards your birth destiny. God cut off the devil's head. Now David was going to bring it into the natural realm and behead God's enemy. Knocked him down with a stone and cut his head off with his own sword. Some of you find yourself there today. You're playing for high stakes. Spouse looks at this. You're crazy to believe that. Boss thinks you can't do it. So much is at stake. What do you do? What you've always done when you follow God. You speak that word. You stand in his presence. You were born to take this giant. Tell you something else. Your giant propel you to the place God wants you. Oh, Caleb said, those giants are bred for us. What's that mean? Want to be a giant? Eat a giant. Face a giant. I followed Christ a long time now. I turned to Christ when I was eight years old. I'm 62. What used to be giants are now pygmies in the rear view mirror of life. You can hardly believe I was afraid. You're born for this conflict in the Valley of Elah. The next valley I want to talk about is the Valley of the Kidron. Look in 2 Samuel 15. 2 Samuel, the 15th chapter. We'll look in this together. 2 Samuel 15, David's in crisis. And this is not a crisis that someone's brought on him. It's done it himself. He committed adultery with his best friend's granddaughter. That was Bathsheba. His best friend's granddaughter. And one of his youngest disciples' wives sinned terribly. Judgment's fallen on the nation. He's lost his moral conscience with his own sin. And when one of his half-sons rapes his half-sister, he does nothing. The son everyone wanted to be King Absalom grows bitter and leads a coup against his dad. Rapes a bunch of his wives and concubines publicly. He's down from the king to a few hundred friends. He's coming down out of Jerusalem, down through the burial yards and the graveyards. He's getting ready to come into the Kidron Valley. Kidron speaks of turbid, not real clear, hard to see, filled with sentiment, dark. Going down in the worst moment of his life. It was the same place hundreds of years later Jesus would come out of Jerusalem down through all the tombs and the graves into the garden of Gethsemane for the worst 24 hours of his life. It says of Psalms 107 that when Jesus crossed the brook, he drank from it and lifted up his head. Let me tell you this. In every battle, there is a brook. In every hell, there is a well. You may find yourself in the Kidron, like David and Jesus, 
just too dark to see. You feel betrayed. You feel hurt. You can't figure it out. There's been a devastating doctor's report that you never expected. You thought you were well, but the doctors say you're not. You've come to the Kidron, but in the Kidron, there's a brook. In the Kidron, there's a place of refreshing. How many of you know when you get real thirsty in the valley, you're not so particular about what you drink? You just got to have some moisture to quench your thirst. This isn't your notes, but I want to tell this story before I drive down to this last point. Ever hear the story of Hagar? Had Ishmael. Abraham's wife got real jealous. She and that little boy were thrown into the wilderness. Given a couple canteens, a little food, goodbye, good riddance. Water's running out. Little boys beginning to whimper. How many of you know there's nothing like the pain in one of your children? Raise your hand. The Bible finally says when she could not take his pain anymore, she moved just far enough to see him but not hear him. The greatest pain in the world is the pain you have no answer for. The greatest pain in the world is the problem you cannot solve. And you don't run because you don't love them. You run because you have no answer even though you do love them. She'd come to her kid, Ron. She was dying herself. She'd been giving him all the water. Any of you mothers would have done that. She said, Lord, I can't bear his cry. I can't take it. The angel of the Lord appeared to her. He said, rise up, Hagar, and take your child by the hand. She said, well, why? Rise up. See, when she rose up, she noticed the well that was in her hell, and they lived. There's a brook in your battle. In every Kidron, there's a brook. That brings me to the last valley, Psalms 84, 6. Psalms 84, 6. As they pass through the valley of Baca, valley of weeping, valley of tears, this is astonishing. They make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. In the valley, if you're dry, it's not about your circumstances, it's about your choices. Whoa. I won't give you my valleys, of which Kathy and I have had plenty. Face death, disease, cancer, children at the death door. Let me say it again. Dryness is a choice, not a circumstance. If you're just waiting for God to rain on you, you may be dry a lot. But how do you make your place of weeping a spring? How do you do that? Like how do you and I, as just mortals, just humans, 
find refreshing and joy in our valleys of baca, of weeping in pain? How do we, in that dry place of weeping, make it a spring? Oh, my goodness. We find in John 4, 10 through 14, the secret of it all. She said, woman, if you knew who I was and the gift of God, what it was really like, you'd ask me for a drink. She said, oh, give me a drink of this water. I don't want to thirst anymore. I don't want to be dry. I don't want to be dissatisfied. He says, if you drink of this water, you won't be thirsty again because I'll create a well on the inside of you. So no matter what your circumstances, no matter what valley you find yourself in, no matter how broken you are, hurting you are, I will spring to life in you. Now this well he spoke of was our new nature. Because when you were born again by the Spirit of God, the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, supernaturally reconnected you in your spirit, woman or man, to the Trinity, allowing the grace and life and peace and joy and strength of God. What's drinking? Drinking is every time you worship, every time you pray, every time you hear a message, every time you fellowship, every time you pray, every time you meditate on the Word and confess the Word, you drink, and it flows into you. I imagine the majority of you are in a valley or God wouldn't have given me this message. If you're on a mountaintop, it's a matter of time because when you come off the mountaintop, it always feels like a valley. Could it be you're in the valley of Eskel today? Great fruit, great fight. Hmm. The valley of Acor. The sin of another has impacted your life. He'll take it from doom to door. The valley of Elah, facing the giant and the stakes are high. The Kidron brook in the valley, the dark place, all alone, but there's a brook in your battle. The valley of Baca, weeping, you can make it a spring. If one or more of those five valleys captures where you are, please raise your hand, I want to pray for you. If your hand is up, please stand up. I'm going to pray. Stand up where you are. You say, why do you have a stand? It always makes me feel better that I'm not the only one. <laughs> this is not just for you. It's for me. Holy Spirit. Pray this. Jesus, you're Lord of the valley. Say it again. Jesus, you're Lord of the valley. You're the Lord of my valley. You're the Lord of my valley. You are the Lord of my valleys. I'm going to pray. Oh, Jesus. We're mortal, but the divine lives in us. You do. I think you always seem greater in the valleys because we're weaker and things are in better perspective. I thank you for this great church, what it means for this city, this nation. I thank you for the great people. They are this great church. Many of them, like Kath and I, have been walking in a deep valley. And oh, God of all comfort, come help them make their place of weeping a spring. 
And I pray for comfort. I pray for peace. I pray for joy. I pray for faith to go out over this great congregation. And I'm asking right now that you'd meet with him. Like you met with Hagar with a dying son. Like you met with your own son as he walked down into Gethsemane. Every one of his friends stopped praying for him and slept. Like you met with David. Both of them, Lord. Like you met with the children of Israel. 